0: A long time ago, beyond, a galaxy far, far away. Read by Alexa Artificial Intelligence Crisis of Faith An original Star Wars novella Timothy Zahn The sky looked odd this morning. Trevik of the Midley of the Seventh of the Red thought, as the queen's entourage left the residence wing of the palace, and began the short walk to the dwelling of guests. Perhaps it was clouds, he thought, clouds too high and too thin for his eyes to distinguish through the mists rising from the dreaming waters that lay to the north of the Red City. But he'd seen the sky through thin clouds before. More likely it was something their guest had done, the chief of the thirty beings who had arrived a month ago, creatures with yellow eyes and hair the color of a storm cloud. Had their chief not said he would protect the Red City from the evil forces gathering among the stars over Kethold? Drink! Quickly Trevik lifted the ornate bowl of nectar that he held clutched to his chest. The queen leaned toward the bowl, her embroidered robes moving in time with the rhythmic swaying of her canopied litter, her long abdomen stretched out along the litter's couch. Higher! Boris of the circling of the first of the red growled tersely from his far less ornate litter behind the queen's. Wincing, Trevik stretched up his arms, raising the bowl as high as he could. The queen drank deeply, and then straightened up again, her mandibles shaking off the last drops of the rich liquid, her eyes flicking impassively across Trevik's face. Trevik lowered the bowl again to his chest, feeling the thudding of his heart within his torso. Being selected to act as the queen's bowl carrier was the highest honor any midly could achieve. It was as if all the midless on Kethold stood behind him, just as all the circling stood behind Borisov. The last thing in the world he wanted was to fail, and through that failure to bring shame to his family. Straighten up, Borisov continued in the same low, grouchy voice. Watch the workers. Duplicate their stance. Trevik swallowed, a quick flush of shame flickering across his heart. He'd been told all this earlier, of course, but in the heat of the moment he'd forgotten. Now he looked over at line of workers carrying the queen's litter. There were eight of them, their torsos held nearly vertical despite the weight of the litter on their shoulders. Each worker's abdomen stretched out behind him, perfectly level with the ground, with his four legs moving in precise lockstep rhythm. Swallowing again, Trevik tried to match their stance and movement. The queen, he'd heard, was willing to give a new bowl carrier a certain degree of latitude on his first day. But that didn't mean he shouldn't try his very best. Especially since Borisov didn't seem inclined to give the new midley any of that same slack. The dwelling of guests was a circular building situated in the center of the courtyard. It was small, with only a modest central gathering area on the ground floor, and ten small privacy rooms on the floor above. Two of the storm-haired aliens stood at the south entryway, their strange weapons held across their shoulders, as they watched the queen and her entourage approach. It was the closest Trevik had ever been to these particular aliens, and he eyed them curiously as he and the litters drew near. They were upright beings, unlike the Queseth but very similar to the Queseth's allies, the Strama. They had two legs, a torso with no separate abdomen, and a head topped with flowing black storm-cloud hair humanoid he'd heard such beings called before but at least their eyes were proper multifaceted like those of the quesseth though they were a bright yellow instead of quesseth's pale blue perhaps their eyes were why the queen had chosen to defy kethold's old alliance with the strama and accept the storm hares into the red city as her guests or perhaps it was because of the weapons the storm hares had brought with them weapons more compact and powerful even than those of the strama Trevik focused on the Stormhair's weapons, feeling himself suddenly tensing. Along with the 12 workers carrying the litters, the Queen's entourage also included 12 soldiers, and if the Stormhairs neglected the proper greeting, the Queen might well order the aliens to be disciplined. Trevik hadn't seen the Stormhair's weapons in action, but he'd heard enough stories to know that he didn't especially want to. Especially not at close range. Fortunately, the Stormhairs knew the correct protocol. Hail, O Queen of the Red, one of them intoned as the litter came within the prescribed five paces. We live to serve and die to serve. The queen remained silent as the aliens pulled open the doors and the group filed through. Under the circumstances Trevik decided her silence was probably a good thing. The chief of the storm hares was waiting in the center of the gathering area. It was the first time Trevik had seen the area since the queen had granted them the dwelling, and he was struck by how alien it had become. Changes in furniture were understandable after all, the Stormhares weren't built anything like the Queseth. But the Stormhares had gone far beyond simple comfort and convenience. They had redone the entire room, from the hangings on the walls to the meditation sculptures about the walkways. In fact, even the pattern of the walkways had been changed. It was as if the dwelling had been transformed into a part of the Storm Hare's own world. Drink! Trevik lifted the bowl, his heart again beginning to pound. Some of the sculptures the Storm Hare's had removed had been from the Queen's own meditation room. Would she take offense that those treasures had been taken out of sight? Perhaps she already had. Lifting her face from the nectar bowl, she raised her voice in the high-pitched ululations of soldier speak. Trevik tensed. But the two lines of soldiers flanking the two litters didn't surge toward the chief storm hare. The commander replied in the same language, and all of the soldiers spread out across the room toward the dwelling's outer doors. They passed through and disappeared into the courtyard, closing the doors behind them. Down, the queen ordered. Trevik took a step to the side as the eight workers carrying the litter lowered it to the floor, and then knelt and curled themselves over into the worker's sign of homage. Behind the queen's litter, Trevik heard a softer swishing of cloth, as the four workers in the rear likewise lowered Borisov's litter. The chief storm hare bowed low, his posture almost a caricature of the worker's stance. Hail, O Queen of the Red, he said. Trevik frowned. Was that it? Did he not also live to serve and die to serve, as did the queseth and even the other storm hares? Drink. Hurriedly Trevik stepped back to the litter and offered the bowl. Apparently, the chief stormhair had indeed finished his greeting. Even more amazing, the queen didn't seem offended by the lack of a death pledge. It was almost as if she saw him as an equal, the way Trevik would see his brothers of the seventh as equals. But that was insane. The queen had no equals. The queen finished her drink and waved Trevik away. "The threat remains, Onuso Esfa," she said, addressing the chief stormhair. My circlings have seen the flying cities, black against the stars. The threat remains, O Queen, the Chief Stormhair, Nuso Esva, agreed. Let us take further counsel together as to how we may deal with our common enemy. Let us speak to the destruction of Grand Admiral Thrawn. The other five members of the strategy session were already waiting in the bridge conference room of the Imperial Star Destroyer Edmonitor when Senior Captain Voss Park arrived. My apologies, Admiral Gentles, he said, as he circled the table to the empty chair at Grand Admiral Thrawn's right. There was a last-minute report from the Taunter system that I thought might be relevant to our discussion. Was it? Stroma Council Liaison, Nyama asked his grass-like fur glinting in the room's lights, his heavy brow ridges angled over his pure black eyes, his normally snide tone even more insolent than usual. Yes, Park said, long practice enabling him not to take offense at Nyama's manner. Loud belligerence was a universal, and highly prized, quality among the strama hierarchy, and the species' military professionals were no exception. The rumored activity turned out to be nothing but a small smuggling group. The searchers found no connection between them and Nuso Esva, and no trace of actual warships. And in your vision, this waste of effort constitutes progress? Nyama scoffed. What Council Liaison Nyama means to ask, a younger strama at Nyama's side said in a more polite tone, is whether clearing one's system genuinely narrows the search for Nuso Esva's remaining forces, especially when so many other possibilities remain. Even negative information is useful said calmly, his glowing red eyes focused on Nyama. Particularly since the probe droids were leaving behind after each search ensure that Nuso Eswa's forces don't move in behind us. Nyama gave a throaty snort. We know where he is, he said, jabbing a finger emphatically downward. What do we care where his scattered remnant cowers? Because as long as he lives, they remain a threat, Park said. You of all people should have learned that, council liaison. You were winning in the struggle against those forces until he returned to take personal command. The situation there was vastly different, Nyama growled. The forces on Aristrum were well supplied and well entrenched. And there were a great deal more of them. He pointed down again. Besides, Nuso Esfa isn't going to be leaving Kethold. Not anymore. Certainly not alive. Liaison Nyama makes a valid point. Stormtrooper Commander Balkan said, from the other end of the table. Wherever his remnant is hiding, Nuso Esfa surely has insufficient ships to break through our blockade. Agreed, Commander, Thrawn said. Unfortunately, the blockade will very soon have to be lifted. There are other matters that urgently require my attention, other threats to this region, and to those who have joined the Empire of the Hand. The Admiral is correct, Park seconded. I can name at least ten such threats right now and there will be more to come then make an end of him Belkin said firmly the stormtroopers of the 501st stand ready to move in and bring you his head nyama snorted again you have no idea what you're saying he said scornfully you've never faced kwessa's soldiers in battle we on the other hand have dealt with them both as allies and as enemies they're bigger even than the workers when they rear up they're nearly as tall as you or i and immensely strong they're also fiercely loyal to their queen, obeying her orders unquestioningly, and with no consideration for their own safety. And there are thousands of them within the Red City. We faced loyal and numerous enemies before, Balkan said. These will fall just as thoroughly. But at a severe cost, Nyama warned. Are you ready to accept such losses, Grand Admiral Thrawn? I don't accept unnecessary losses of any sort, Council liaison, Thrawn said, his blue-skinned face impassive but I was unaware that you once fought against the Queseth. It was long ago, during the foolish arrogance we called our expansion period, Nyama said. For once, Park noted with interest, the belligerent voice was almost introspective. Even with the primitive ceremonial weapons they still use, we suffered greatly before we came to our senses and made peace with them. His nostrils flared. As will you if you continue this path of foolishness. Perhaps someone on the council can talk to the Queen of the Red, Park suggested. If you could get her to see reason, queens of Queseth make their own reason, Nyama said. Whatever her logic for accepting Nuso Esva into her care, she will not be moved from it. Then she will suffer, Thrawn warned. We all suffer, Nyama said flatly. Such is the way of life, Park grimaced. The Queseth would suffer, all right, like the twenty and more species that had already suffered under Nuso Esva's reign of terror. Ever since the alien and his people, the warriors he proudly called his Chosen, had emerged from a still unidentified planet in the Unknown Regions, they'd been cutting a deadly swath through people's worlds, and even small federations. Of all those attacked, only Thrawn had shown the skill and resolve necessary to block Nuso Essa's expansion, and eventually to begin driving him back. But victory had come with a terrible cost. The Chosen fought with fanatical zeal, and forced their client and subjugated peoples to fight alongside them with the same stubbornness. Even worse, with every forced retreat the Chosen followed Nuso Esfa's scorched ground policy of destroying everything they couldn't take with them, not just weapons of war, but also the means for the local populace to survive through the next winter or dry spell. Millions had died in Nuso Esfa's conquests, and millions more in the aftermath of his retreats including hundreds of thousands of strama who'd been caught in the crossfire and scorched ground, when Thrawn finally succeeded in pushing Nuso Esva off their worlds. Which, for Park, made Nyama's attitude that much more bewildering. Didn't he want to see his professed allies the Quessith freed from Nuso Esva's bondage? Yet our job as civilized beings is to minimize that suffering as best we can, Thrawn said. If he was bothered by Nyama's apparent lack of compassion, it didn't show in his expression or voice. I'd like to see the records of your wars against the Quesseth. With an insectoid species, even long-past battles may give us insight. Those records are old and fragmentary, Nyama said. They would also be useless. Right now, it is Nuso-Espa's strategy and tactics that they will use. He'll indeed be devising their overall strategy, Thrawn said, his tone thoughtful. But as Quesseth soldiers still use their ancient weapons, so may they also still hold to their ancient battlefield tactics. Beside Balkan, Thai squadron commander Baron Soontire fell stirred in his chair. Those umbrella shields they've got over the central part of the city are hardly ancient weapons, he pointed out. True, Thrawn conceded. Liaison Nyama may be right. We may indeed face a conflating of disparate tactics, a mixture that will be difficult to anticipate. He looked at Park. We need information, Captain. More information, better information. We're working blind. How quickly the indomitable master warrior stumbles, Nyama said sarcastically. What council liaison Nyama means, the young conciliator spoke up again, is that timely information is of course, a necessary part of combat preparation. His eyes flicked briefly to Nyama. He also suggests that there may be a way to obtain the information you seek. Thrawn's eyes narrowed slightly. Continue. Nyama grimaced. As I've already said, We've been allies with Kethold for many generations. As a result, we have contacts among the Quessith of the Red. Perhaps I can speak to one of them for you. You already said they were unquestioningly loyal to their queen, Belkin reminded him. What good would talking to them do? I said the soldiers were loyal, Nyama shot back. The soldiers and workers are barely even intelligent, let alone able to make their own decisions. I never said that was the case with the circlings and midless but they're still loyal, aren't they? Belkin persisted. I said they can think for themselves, Nyama all but bellowed. Are you deaf, you bald-skinned? What council liaison Nyama means, the conciliator interrupted hurriedly, is that there's a small but growing opposition to the Queen of the Reds' alliance with Nuso Esva? If we can contact them, perhaps they can obtain the information you seek. Nyama glared at the conciliator but gave a reluctant nod. Provided you want something within their capabilities, he growled. What are their capabilities? Fell asked. Not much, Niyama said. Circlings are the queen's advisors and upper-tier breeders. They're the most intelligent Queseth, but they deal in words and thoughts, not actions. Midless are tasked with overseeing the workers, so they're not that intelligent. But they can be reasoned with, and can handle equipment to a limited extent. The tasks should be easy enough, Thrawn assured him. All I want is for one of them to smuggle a holocom into Nuso Esfa's chambers. A holocom? Nyama echoed disbelievingly. Nuso Esfa had little of his own artwork with him when he fled to Kethold, Thrawn explained. Most of what he has will be from the queen's collection. I need to see which pieces he's chosen. Nyama snorted and shook his head. Your obsession with art, Grand Admiral Thrawn is more unsettling than your obsession with Nuso Esfa himself. His obsession with both is what drove Nuso Esva off Aristrum, and gave you the freedom to be here today, Fell said. Nyama glared at him. But he had no answer, and everyone in the room knew it. You have this holocom with you. He growled, turning back to Thrawn. It will be ready whenever you confirm that one of the disaffected Circlings or Midless can get it into Nuso Esva's chambers, Thrawn said. And can then bring it out again, I suppose, Nyama growled. He stood up abruptly. I return now to my ship, and will attempt to communicate with the dissidents. How large will this holocom be? Very small, Thron said, holding up his hand. The size of one joint of my finger. We can disguise it in any way necessary to facilitate entry. Perhaps it could even be planted on one of the workers or soldiers who attend the queen, Park suggested. I understand twelve of each accompany her wherever she goes. You understand correctly, Nyama said. I'll inquire as to the best way to achieve this goal, and will communicate with you when I have more to say. With a brisk nod to Thrawn, he turned and strode from the room, the young conciliator hurrying to keep up. The door slid shut behind them, and Thrawn looked around the table. Comments? He invited. It could work, Park said cautiously. The number of variables is still uncomfortably high though. And if Nyama is typical of Strama attitude, Fell added. We'd better assume we'll be tackling Nuso-Esfa without them. They are allies with the Queseth after all, Belkin murmured. It's not easy to make a stand against one's friends. Especially when they figure they can just stall down the Chrono. Fell said. Two years, isn't it, until Nuso-Esfa's time in Red City runs out? Yes, if Nyama's numbers are accurate, Park confirmed. His numbers are accurate, but his reasoning is flawed, Thrawn said. Nuso Esfa could do an enormous amount of damage to the people of the Red City in those two years. That's not a result I'm prepared to accept, he hesitated. Bear in mind, too, that Liaison Yama speaks for the Strama Council, and some of those members still blame us for the destruction their world suffered. Fell muttered something under his breath. I suppose they also blame their surgeons for damaging bits of good tissue when they're cutting out the poison rot? I don't defend their opinions, Thrawn said mildly. I merely state that those opinions exist. At any rate, we cannot allow the common people of the galaxy to suffer merely because their leaders sometimes refuse to face the universe's realities. Well, the reality here is that we can finally nail this son of A, that we can nail Nuso Esfa, Fel amended hastily. We've got him pinned, and there's no place he can run. And we understand how he works. True. Thrawn smiled faintly. More important he understands how I work. Hopefully that will be enough, Park said. Thrawn inclined his head. We shall see. The sky still looked odd as Trevik left the palace at the half-dark light hour, and set off down the gentle slope of the city hill, and across the wide ring of circling homes. Farther down slope, beyond the circling ring, was the midley area of the city where his own home was located. The sky looked even stranger over the circling area, he noted with interest as he walked. In places, it held the same strangely muted appearance as it did over the palace grounds. But in other small places, the sky was as bright and blue as normal. He gazed at the wonder as he traveled, trying to figure out what it all meant. Perhaps one of the workers would know. They were the ones who built everything in the Red City. Trevik’s brother Jervin was overseer of one of the worker groups that created and serviced the city's lighting equipment. Perhaps he would know what had happened to the sky. A whiff of air stirred from beside him, bringing with it the scent of a circling. Automatically, Trevik stepped to the side, out of the others' path. A hand closed around his arm. Walk, the circling ordered quietly, steering Trevik off onto a different angle. Where do we go? Trevik asked, fighting to keep up with the others' longer stride. My home is in a different. Walk in silence, the circling said, cutting him off. They were well within the midly circle when Trevik noticed that the sky had changed again. Now the areas of strangeness had become a patchwork of distinct circles, their edges almost touching, with proper sky in the gaps between them. Beyond the Midley area, Trevik could see that the strangeness ended completely across the wide expanse of worker and soldier homes. He was still wondering at the sight when the circling guided him to one of the Midley homes. The door opened as they approached, and with the circling still urging him forward, Trevik stepped beneath the lintel. There were three other Midless awaiting them in the house's sharing room. Two were strangers, the third. Trevik gasped. Jervin? Hello, my brother. Jervin of the Midley of the Seventh of the Red greeted him, his voice solemn. Please forgive the manner of your coming. It was vital that we speak to you immediately. You could have simply called me on the far speak when I reached my house, Trevick said. It was equally vital that we speak to you in a manner that the storm hares could not overhear, Jervin said. Please, seat yourself. For a long moment, Trevik thought about turning and walking out. But the circling who had brought him here, had planted himself beneath the lintel. With an unpleasant sensation twitching up his legs, Trevik slowly crossed to one of the couches, and lowered himself gingerly onto it. What is it you wish to say? He asked. He saw Jervin brace himself. We believe, my brother, that the Red City stands on the brink of destruction, he said. We believe that the Queen of the Red has been led by deceit into allying herself with Nuso Esfa. Impossible, the word burst from Trevik's mouth without conscious thought. The Queen is all-knowing and capable of infinite depth of thought. No alien being could sway her mind to such an extent. Nevertheless, we believe that such has indeed occurred, Jervin said. We further believe that something must be done to prevent the imminent destruction of our city. Perhaps even our entire world. Trevik stared at him. "What exactly are you saying, my brother?" he asked carefully. "I'm saying that the being Thron of the First of the Chis of the Empire of the Han is not the great enemy that Nuso Esva has named him," Jervin said. "We have spoken to one of the Strama who has revealed to us the true natures of Thron and Nuso Esva, And," and we, Jervin waved a hand to encompass the entire sharing room, "have thus chosen to join ourselves with our Strama friends. With them and with Thron," Furtively, Trevik looked again at the doorway. But the circling was still standing beneath the lintel, blocking any chance of easy escape. Why are you telling me all this? He asked, turning back to his brother. Thrawn urgently needs information if we are to defeat Nuso Esva and free our queen from his grasp, Jervin said. You, my brother, are the only one who can obtain that information. Impossible, Trevik repeated, the word again escaping his mouth without thought. I'm a loyal midley. More than that, I'm the queen's own bowl carrier. You've been bowl carrier for a single day, one of the other midless scoffed. Don't make it sound as if your entire past and family honor are at risk. My past may not be at risk, but my family honor surely is, Trevik insisted. Regardless, I cannot betray my queen in such a way. She is no longer your queen, the circling at the door rumbled. She has become merely a hand tool of Nuso Esfa. I cannot and will not believe that, Trevik shot back. The queen seeks only what is best for her people, and for all the people of Kethold. He leveled two fingers at the circling. It is this thron who is the enemy. I have heard Nuso Esfa say so. Have you heard the queen herself say so? Jervin asked. Trevik turned back to him, a quick and scathing response boiling up from within him. Then he paused the words unspoken. Had the queen actually said such words in his presence? Now that he thought about it, he couldn't remember her doing so. It doesn't matter, he said stubbornly. Nuso Esfa is here, and he is the queen's guest. He is her captor, not her guest, the circling said. You would serve the queen better by aligning yourself with us, than by standing idly by as he exploits her. You've offered no proof of that, Trevik insisted. You've offered no proof to the contrary, Trevik hissed. Your challenge is useless. How does one prove a negative? By taking the holocom our strama friends have given us, Jervin said, his voice low and earnest. By taking pictures of the queen and of Nuso Esva and of the artwork with which he has decorated the dwelling of guests, so that we may learn the truth, Trevik blinked. The artwork. Thrawn is able to read the hidden hearts of people through their choice of artwork, Jervin said. Or so the Strama claims. The pictures will also prove that the Queen is with Nuso Esva of her own free will, the circling added. If indeed she is. If she allies herself freely with him, then we shall cease our efforts here, Jervin assured Trevik. Like you, my brother, we seek only what is best for our Queen, our city, and our world. Trevik lowered his gaze to the floor. The Queen had accepted Nuso Esva as her guest, he was sure of it. But there was no way to prove that to Jervin and the others, except by doing what they asked. Very well, he said, the words stinging his throat. Where is this holocom? Jervin rose from his couch and pulled a small, flat object from one of his vest pockets. Here, he said, laying it across Trevick's hand, Trevick frowned. The device was smaller than even the smallest of his fingers. This is a cam. It is, Jervin confirmed. You'll note it has the same texture and color pattern as your official bowl carrier vest. Once secured there, it will be invisible to even the most strong-eyed observer. He was right on that one, at least Trevik had to admit. The cam would blend in perfectly. Whoever this strama was, he knew precisely how a bowl carrier's vest looked. How do I operate it? You touch the upper right corner as you arrive at the dwelling of guests, Jervin said. The cam itself will do the rest. And make certain that it faces each piece of Nuso Esva's artwork during the time you're in the dwelling, the circling added. I will, Trevik drew himself up. And I will bring proof that the queen has indeed chosen Nuso Esva as our ally. Then will you cease this foolishness? If you bring back such proof, we will cease, Jervin promised. But if the proof is of her captivity under Nuso Esva's strength of mind, then our opposition to his presence will continue, Trevik grimaced. How does one prove a negative? but it was clear that this was the best he was going to get. I will bring the cam back at this hour tomorrow, he said, rising from the couch. And then you will cease. Agreed, the circling said, finally stepping away from beneath the lintel. Farewell. May you eat and sleep deeply. May you eat and sleep deeply, Trevick replied with a sinking heart. A minute later he was once again walking beneath the strange sky, heading toward his home. Surely he was right. Surely the queen had chosen Nuso Esfa as her ally of her own free will and depth of thought. But if she hadn't, what did that mean for her? What would it mean for the rest of the Queseth? More immediately, what would it mean to Trevik if he was caught spying for Thrawn? He had no way of knowing. But he was certain that it would not be pleasant. Trevik slept poorly that night, and his food was equally unsatisfying. He woke early, groomed himself with extra care, and made certain he was at the palace a few minutes earlier than required. The nectar bowl was waiting for him beside the queen's litter in the welcoming chamber, along with the workers who would carry the two litters and half of the soldiers who would escort them. Borisov arrived a few minutes later, and without a word took his place on the smaller litter. His timing was perfect, as was only proper for the circling who was the chosen attendant to the queen. Barely a minute after Borisov had settled into place, the inner doors opened and the queen strode into the welcoming chamber, flanked by the other six soldiers of their guard. She climbed up onto her couch, and the workers hoisted both litters to their shoulders. And with Trevik trying not to look as nervous as he felt, the group headed out the door and across the courtyard to the dwelling of guests. After all of the evening's worry and the night's fitful sleep, the day turned out to be a welcome anticlimax. No one spotted the cam, nestled into the pattern on Trevik's vest, and it was easier than he'd expected to surreptitiously take the pictures that Jervin wanted. By the time the queen recalled her soldiers from their defensive ring outside the dwelling and the group returned to the palace for her midday meal, he had managed to face the holocom toward every one of Nuso Esfa's chosen artworks. After the meal, when they had returned to the dwelling for more talk with Nuso Esfa, he made sure to take a few more pictures. There was one other big difference between Trevik's first and second days as the queen's bowl carrier. The day before, his mind had been fully occupied with keeping himself motionless and the bowl level. Today, after all those strange things Jervin had said, he made an effort to listen to the conversation. It was confusing. That didn't surprise Trevik. this was the queen of the red after all, along with an alien she found intelligent enough to spend hours conversing with. Their talk was probably above even the wisdom and intelligence of a circling, let alone a mere midley like himself. But the parts he did understand were disturbing. There was talk of shuttles, and of the building of fighter aircraft, and of weapons that were either hidden or soon would be. There was talk of umbrella shields and traps, and more hidden weapons. And there was a great deal of talk about death. But none of that was important. What mattered was that the queen was clearly not a prisoner of Nuso Esfa and the rest of the storm hairs. Later that evening, as he returned the cam to Jervin, he told his brother exactly that. Jervin said nothing, except to reaffirm his promise that he and the others would end their opposition to the queen, if the record bore out Trevick's own observations. His unexpected and unwanted mission finally ended, Trevick again made his way to his home. And that night, he did eat and sleep deeply. The recorder erupted with a bewildering cacophony of squeaks, clicks and squealings. Go through the dwelling doors, Nyama translated, his ears twitching with concentration, as he listened to the recording their circling contact had delivered an hour ago. Surround and protect the guests. There was another squeal. We obey the queen, Nyama translated. There was a faint scuffling of feet, then the sound of opening and closing doors. And they're gone, Nyama added, leaning back in his seat. Everything else from now on should be in quest of common speak, which I presume you understand. We do, Park said, looking at Thrawn at the head of the conference table. The Grand Admiral's glowing eyes were narrowed, his full attention apparently on the photos of the dwelling of guests' artwork that the secret recorder had also provided. What do you know about soldier speak, Liaison Yama? Park asked as he keyed for a quick search of the audio track. The strama gave a snort obviously I can understand it, he said. What else is there to know? What council liaison Nyama means, the conciliator put in, is that there is nothing more that anyone except a Queseth queen and soldier can know. It is a highly secret language. Yet you know it, Park pointed out. So do several of our strama recruits. Including two of my stormtroopers, Belkin said. And will understanding gain you anything? Nyama shot back. I tell you right now that it will not. We fought the Quesseth, Captain Park. All that an understanding of soldier speak will gain you, is the brief advantage of knowing which of your troops will be the next to die. Which can also be useful, Thrawn said, looking up from his datapad. More important, understanding a language is the first step towards speaking or otherwise reproducing it. No, Niyama said flatly. There's no reproducing of soldier speak. Believe me, Admiral Thrawn, we tried. That was a long time ago, Thrawn reminded him. We have resources that weren't available to you back then. There's no reproducing of soldier speak, Nyama repeated, his tone sharper this time. Queens have a unique set of vocal cords and resonance cavities, which even soldiers themselves don't have. Besides that, soldier language utilizes at least five different resonances and pitch variants, not to mention an entirely different vocabulary from common speak. The fourteen loudspeakers they've set up beneath the Umbrella Shield Zone have to be specially designed to handle that entire range. So they don't use commlinks in battle? Fell asked. Weren't you listening? Niyama ground out. I said they needed special loudspeakers. No comlink ever built can even come close to handling the necessary frequency range. Their speakers are simply too small. Yes, we heard you, Fell said so if we can knock out the loudspeakers, we'll cut off all communication between the queen and her troops. For all the gain that will bring you, Niyama said contemptuously. They'll just continue to follow their previous orders. Most likely something simple like kill all the attackers. There may be other ways to exploit that sort of communication system, Thrawn said, Niyama snorted. If you think that, wait, here comes more soldier speak, Park interrupted as the computer caught the language keys. He turned up the volume, wincing as the squealing sounds again assaulted his ears. The monologue was short. Liaison Nyama? Park invited. Nothing useful, Nyama said. Soldiers, escort your queen to the palace. I thought all the soldiers were outside, Fell said. There are air vents near the ceiling, Fran said, his eyes back on the pictures the holocom had taken. They can hear her commands through those but now Park could see that the tension lines in his commander's face had smoothed out. You found something, Admiral? he asked. I believe I may have found the solution, Thrawn said, laying the datapad aside. From the artwork Nuso Esva has chosen to surround himself with, I anticipate he'll deploy most of his forces at the western edge of the city, clustered around Setting Sun Avenue. Surreptitiously Park looked at Nyama. Thrawn's unique ability to read a species' deepest psychological core by studying its artwork was one of his greatest strengths, enabling him to anticipate his opponent's moves right down to their likely battlefield tactics. New allies seeing it demonstrated for the first time inevitably reacted with surprise, awe or disbelief. Nyama was apparently going for option three. Brilliantly anticipated, the Stroma said sarcastically. Of course he'll concentrate his forces there, that's the only spot on the perimeter where your juggernaut heavy tanks can enter the city. Everywhere else Nuso-Espa's umbrella shields are angled at the edges to block vehicles of any size. Which suggests setting Sun Avenue as the entrance to a trap, Belkin suggested. Indeed, Thrawn agreed calmly. Because the area won't be guarded solely by Quesseth soldiers. He'll also have a number of heavy weapons emplacements concealed along the route, waiting for our juggernauts. As our forces enter the city, he'll angle the umbrella shields downward along the route, protecting the shields' generators from the juggernauts' fire, as well as preventing the tanks from straying off that path. Once the juggernauts have penetrated a predetermined distance into the city, he'll blast the first and last ones in line, thereby trapping all the others. At that point, he can destroy them at his leisure. Park nodded, a sour taste in his mouth. It was a tactic they'd seen Nuso Esva use to devastating effect in previous encounters against some of the Empire of the Hand's other allies. So how do we counter it? he asked. We first let him think his plan is working, Thrawn said. That means sending the line of juggernauts in as he expects. His eyes glittered. But before he can launch his attack, we destroy the trap. Allow me to guess, Nyama growled. Squadron Commander Fell and his Oso expert TIE pilots fly in through the gaps between the umbrella shields and blast the hidden guns. You scoff, but it's actually quite possible, Fell said. The shields don't overlap nearly as well as they should. There are numerous gaps between them, including at least one along one of the steepest parts of the main city hill that's big enough to fly through if we come in at just the right angle. Once we're in and below the level of the shields, everything but the palace and palace grounds should be wide open to us. That assumes your pilots are able to insert at the necessary angle, Nyama countered. In the heat and flurry of battle, such precision would be impossible, Fell shrugged. Impossible is Gray Squadron's specialty. And what of the laser cannons spread throughout the city? Nyama persisted. We gave them those cannons, Commander Fell, years before Nuso Esva's intrusion into this region. Each cannon is twin-barreled, with rapid-fire capabilities and enough power, to take out one of your vaunted TIE fighters with a single shot. And they have massive forward shield plates, which makes them nearly impossible to destroy along their own fire lines. But they have only manual targeting, Thrawn reminded them. And the very shields that protect them also make them heavy and unwieldy. Even nuso Esva's most expert gunners will have trouble with TIE attack speeds unless the TIE is coming straight at them, as is the case with Commander Fell's scenario, Nyama said acidly. No, Admiral Thrawn. Trust me, your TIE fighters will be useless in this battle. Perhaps, Thrawn said. We shall see. We shall see? Nyama echoed. Tell me, Admiral, if the Admonitor's turbolasers are incapable of penetrating the shields, your TIEs certainly won't be able to do so. What then will you have them do? Destroy the homes of the workers and soldiers that lie outside the shield zone? We do not make war on civilians, Liaison Nyama, Thrawn said, his voice suddenly cold and brittle. A fact you well know. For a second Nyama's antagonism seemed to waver. Then, his natural strama leadership attitude reasserted itself. Then what will they do? he demanded. As Commander Fell has already stated, there are gaps between the shields, Thrawn said. While the juggernauts move into the city the ties will be shooting through those gaps with the goal of demolishing one or more of the shield generators generators that are protected by the very shields they create niyama scoffed you can't hit the generators unless you're already beneath the shields unless it happens that a gap between two shields opens up a targeting vector to a third fran pointed out i admit the probability is low but as commander fell pointed out the coverage is not as good as it would have been if Nuso Esva had had more shields available. And if such an attack succeeds, the Thais will be in position to take full advantage of the situation. But no, the downfall of Nuso Esva's plan will not be our Thai fighters, but our stormtroopers. Your stormtroopers. Across the table, Balkan stirred at the implied slight against his forces. Thrawn's hand twitched a warning, and the other subsided. Nuso Esfa will have instructed the Queen to array the bulk of her soldiers along Setting Sun Avenue to prevent a sortie from the Juggernauts, the Admiral said. We'll therefore send a small stormtrooper force into the city southwest of the main assault, angle up toward the Juggernaut line's southern flank, and attack the Avenue shield generators from behind. Nyama shook his head. Nuso Esfa will not sit idly by and let that happen. Nor will the Queen of the Red the soldiers lining the attack route will simply turn around and swarm against the stormtroopers. Of course they will, Thrawn said. When that happens, the stormtroopers will retreat, drawing them still farther from the juggernauts and the shields. He smiled slightly. And when they're too far back to respond, the stormtroopers inside the tanks will emerge, cut their way through the remaining soldiers, and destroy the shields, Nyama snorted. And all this against Quessa's soldiers? You have far too much confidence in your humans, Admiral Thrawn. The stormtroopers of the five hundred first consist of humans and non-humans, Thrawn reminded him calmly. Including a number of your own people. Not anymore. Abruptly, Nyama stood up. I've heard enough. The Stroma Council will not risk its warriors in this mad attack. Particularly not an attack against our allies. I hereby withdraw all of them from Imperial service effective immediately. Beside him, the conciliator's mouth dropped open in clear disbelief. What council liaison Nyama means, council liaison Nyama means exactly what he says, Nyama interrupted. Give the orders, Admiral Thrawn. Or I will give them for you. For a long moment, the room seemed to quiver with the silence of approaching death. Nyama loomed over the still-seated Thrawn like a grass-covered mountain, his black eyes hard, his mouth set at an angle that warned against argument. Thrawn stirred. Very well, council liaison, he said. If you don't wish to assist in freeing your allies from bondage, your people will be ordered to your carriers. What I don't wish is for my people to die for nothing, Nyama ground out. And it will be for nothing. In two years Nuso Esva and the remnant of his chosen will find themselves masters of a deserted city. If at that time you still insist on having your vengeance, we will gladly march in alongside you and sing a song to your honor as you destroy him. But I won't waste my people in a useless and futile battle. He glared at the conciliator, as if daring the younger Stroma to dare try to soften his words. But the conciliator had learned his lesson, and remained silent. Nuso Esfa can do a great deal of damage in those two years, Park said. It wasn't a particularly politic thing to do, he knew, speaking words of contradiction to a Strama Council liaison. But he had no intention of letting his commander take the full brunt of Nyama's contempt alone. And there are manufacturing facilities below Red City that he might use to devastating effect. Are you willing to simply stand aside and watch all that happen? The Queen of the Red invited Nuso Esva into her city, Nyama said, sending an acid edged glare at Park. Whatever happens now is on her head and upon the heads of her people. He turned back to Thrawn. I return to my shuttle, Admiral Thrawn. I expect all Stroma under your command to be assembled at the Admonitor's hangar bay within the hour. I'll give the order, Thrawn said. Nyama held the Admiral's gaze another two seconds, then stepped away from the table and strode from the room. The conciliator stood up, his face pained. Admiral, go with your superior, Thrawn said, his face impassive. The younger Strama looked helplessly at the others around the table, then nodded and left without another word. Well, Fell said into the silence. That went well. Hardly unexpected though, Park agreed heavily. True, Fell cocked an eyebrow at Thrawn. You do know, Admiral, that I wasn't exaggerating about the size of that gap. You come in at the wrong angle and graze one of those shields, and it'll blow off that section of wing, and give you enough spin to send you spiraling straight into the ground. I have full confidence that you and your pilots will make it work, Commander. Thrawn turned to Belkin. As I also have confidence that you and your stormtroopers will do their part. We will, Admiral, Belkin said quietly. So the plan's still on? Park asked. It is, Thrawn confirmed. Park felt his lip twitch. I have spoken to some of the other Strama who understand Quessa's soldier speak, he said. They say that even if we're able to record enough of the Queen's orders during the battle, it'll be impossible to pick and stitch the words together to create counter-orders of our own. My Strama trainees say the same thing, Balkan confirmed. There's some kind of pitch rhythm in the subharmonics that a set of randomly stitched words won't be able to match. We shall see, Thrawn said. Are there any other thoughts or concerns?" Park looked around the table. No one seemed inclined to say anything more. Then you're dismissed, Fran said formally. Make your final preparations, then get your forces fed and to sleep, his eyes glittered. Tomorrow at mid-morning we attack. It was not in the nature of Imperial stormtroopers to hide themselves from view. Their entire attitude and training, not to mention their gleaming white armor, tended in exactly the opposite direction. Nevertheless, Stormtrooper Logva of the Strama contingent was trying to stay out of everyone's sight. For the first hour, he succeeded, running a quiet path between the Admonitor's main trooper kitchen area and the equipment storage facility, choosing a route senior officers seldom traveled, unless they had a reason to be there. He kept an ear cocked as he strode silently along, listening for loud voices and stern, determined footsteps. He was ten minutes into the second hour when his luck ran out. Rounding a stack of safety-webbed crates, he ran smack into line Lieutenant Dramos Sanjan, perched casually on the saddle of a Mobkay reconnaissance swoop. Stormtrooper Logva, Sanjan said with an air of clearly artificial casualness. You seem to have missed the order that all Stroma aboard the Admonitor were to report to the number 3 hangar deck for disembarkation. My apologies, Lieutenant, Logva said striving for the right mix of surprise and chagrin. I've been having trouble with my hearing lately. Really, Sanjan said. You didn't seem to have any trouble with Commander Balkin's order to report to the practice range earlier this afternoon, Laga grimaced. Sanjan had him, and there really was no point in carrying on the charade any longer. I heard a rumor that all the strama were being taken off in advance of the attack, he said. I wanted to stay, you feel entitled to ignore orders you don't feel like obeying? You need me, Lieutenant, Lagva said, painfully aware that he was walking on extremely thin stone here. Purev and I are the only ones in the assault force who understand of soldier speak. We're the only ones who can give you any advance warning of what the Queen of the Red is ordering her forces to do. Yet Purev left the Admonitor as ordered, Sanjan said. Are you saying he doesn't have the same loyalty to the unit that you do? Purov has a family, and a strong family honor that he must uphold, Lagva said. Disobeying his orders would shame them all. Whereas you're an orphan who has no one to shame? I'm an orphan who will dishonor no one but myself, Lagva corrected. I'm willing to accept that shame. Stroma discipline can be harsh, Sanjan warned. Imperial discipline can be even worse. I understand, Lagva said. Discipline or discharge me as you must, Lieutenant but I beg you don't do either until after tomorrow. Sanjan studied Lagva's face. You feel that strongly about this battle? The Queseth are Strama allies, Lagva said. More than that, I spent two years in the Strama diplomatic enclave at the edge of the Black City. I like these people, and I don't want to see them destroyed. And you think that likely? If Nuso-Esfa isn't stopped, it's the only possible outcome, Lagva said. If he succeeds in holding the Red City, it'll be only a matter of time before he also takes the White City, then the Black City, and then the entire planet. And you want to see him stopped? Yes sir I do. Even at the risk of your own life and honor? I'm an Imperial Stormtrooper Lieutenant, Lagva said. I live or die at the pleasure of my superiors and my commander. And if it pleases those same superiors for you to sit this one out? Lagva swallowed hard, wishing he could read Sanjan's face. But human expressions were always so hard for him to penetrate. Then I will resign my commission and accompany my former unit to the surface as a civilian, he said, stowing away aboard the transport if need be. For a dozen heartbeats Sanjin just gazed at him. This hearing problem of yours, he said at last, comes and goes, does it? It took Lagva a moment to figure out what Sanjin was talking about. And there was a strange look the human's eye. Yes sir it does, he said. As I said earlier. Sounds serious, Sanjan cut in. You'd better report to the medical bay. I'll let the Stroma liaison officer know that you'll be remaining aboard until the diagnostic droids have come up with a reading and a course of treatment. He cocked his head. I'm sure you'll be ordered to remain in the bay until the assault transports have all launched at mid-morning tomorrow. Hopefully, my hearing will be functional when that order is given. Logva bowed his head. Thank you, Lieutenant. Don't thank me yet, Sanjin warned. Better yet don't thank me at all. If we're both still alive this time tomorrow, Captain Park will probably flay both of us alive. That is, if Commander Balkan doesn't get to us first, he gestured. Get to the medical bay and then get some rest. One way or the other, tomorrow is likely to end badly. It was mid-morning, and Trevik was once again holding the nectar bowl at the queen's side, when one of the Stormhares came unexpectedly into the dwelling of guests, with an urgent report. The forces of Grand Admiral Thrawn had left the star caravan, and were moving toward the edges of the Red City. Excellent, Nuso Esfa said, with an almost eager satisfaction in his voice. All is prepared. All is prepared, the other Stormhair confirmed. Nuso Esfa turned to the queen. Your forces are also arrayed as I ordered, O oh, Queen. Trevik's eyes flicked sideways to the Queen's litter. The Queen's soldiers, as Nuso Esfa had ordered? Had ordered. Such blatant effrontery should have earned Nuso Esfe words of sharp rebuke, possibly even death at the hands of the soldiers standing their usual guard outside the dwelling. But to Trevik's even greater surprise, the Queen made neither response. They are so arrayed, she said instead. You are certain your weapons can stop the invading forces? They will do more than simply stop them, O Queen, Nuso Esfa said with grim satisfaction. Today is the beginning of your final dominion over this world. Again, Trevik looked sideways at the Queen. But this time, his surreptitious glance was accompanied by a surge of unpleasantness that curled through him like a plume of black smoke. What did Nuso Esfa mean by dominion? In two years the Queen of the White would arise, the air would change, and the Queen of the Red would die. The circlings would go into hibernation in the lower citadel of the palace, where they would arise and breed a new queen, when their part of the cycle came again. Once the citadel had been sealed, the midless soldiers and workers would start the long journey to the White City. There, those who survived the ordeal would join in with the Queen of the White's offspring. Eighteen years later, The Queen of the Black would arise, and the cycle would begin anew. But the Queen of the Red, the current Queen of the Red, would still be long dead. What could Nuso Esfa possibly mean by speaking to her of dominion over Kethold? Trevik had no idea. He also had no doubt that whatever the meaning, he wasn't going to like it. The eight transports put down at the edge of the Red City landing in a widely spaced semicircle in the fields just outside the outermost ring of worker homes the arrangement of the semicircle was typically thrown fell saw as he and his three squadrons of tie fighters flew cover over the landing site setting sun avenue the road that led due east into the city was the designated entry point and fell had known commanders who would have automatically centered the force on that vector so as to provide maximum flanking cover to the main thrust but Thrawn did things with a bit more subtlety. The semicircle was centered instead on a creek that flowed west-southwest across the city, crossing the line of transports about half a kilometer south of Setting Sun Avenue. The gently sloping banks of the creek offered another wide entry point, one that a clever and unconventional commander might choose to exploit. It was certainly a tactic Thrawn might use, and one knew so Esfa would surely anticipate. Sure enough, Fell could see movement now in the inner parts of the city, the midly encircling circling areas protected by Nuso Esva's umbrella shields. Some of the Quesas soldiers who had been deployed there were leaving the center city and moving down the hill along the creek bed toward the handful of natural strongpoints on the banks. Fell smiled tightly. Nuso Esva didn't know that most of the transports arrayed against him, including the one positioned along the stream bed, were just for show. Commander Fell? Thrawn's voice came through Fell's helmet commlink. No resistance so far, Admiral, Fell reported. I have soldiers redeploying to the stream, but so far everyone's staying well back inside the shield zone. Any of the laser cannons and evidence? Fell took a moment to glance at his fighter's compact tactical board, wishing briefly that he was in his usual TIE interceptor with its better instrument array. But of course the newer, sleeker interceptor wouldn't have worked nearly so well with this particular mission. Nothing visible, he said. Shall I make a pass across the larger holes in the shield array, and see if I can draw some fire? Not yet, Commander, Thrawn said with that mixture of respect, patience and amusement, that Fell had noted the Grand Admiral always seemed to use with him. Are we intercepting any of the Queen's orders yet? Negative on that too, sir, Fell said. We're probably still too far out to pick up anything from the loudspeakers. Stay on it, Thrawn instructed him. I want to know the minute you start hearing soldiers speak. Armor commander? Armor commander, said a flat non-human voice coming into the circuit. Are the juggernauts ready? They are. Deploy juggernauts. Phil turned his fighter into a tight curve back toward the transport that lay across setting Sun Avenue. The access door slid up into the curved top of the vehicle, and a juggernaut rolled into view, 22 meters worth of weapons and heavy armor, moving a little awkwardly on its ten wheels, as it maneuvered itself onto the road. It had stabilized itself and started toward the city when the second tank appeared, following in the track marks of the first. It too, made it onto the road just as the one behind it emerged into view. Fell nodded to himself and turned into another curve back toward the city. If the first three juggernauts had made it out all right, he had no doubt that the remaining six would do likewise. Meanwhile, his ties had another job to do. Gray Squadron, form up around me, fell called into his calm link. Blanket sweep over the city. Let's see what sort of holes we can find to shoot through. The fourth of the nine juggernaut tanks had emerged in the distance, when Logva's squad rolled out of their transport on the first of the attack force's three A-Rack carriers. The A-Rack was a simple device, one that Logva was told had been adopted from one of Thrawn's other liberated worlds. It looked very much like an A-frame, fold-up clothing roller of the type he'd seen being pushed, or pulled along busy walkways back in his own home city's garment district. The A-rack though was much sturdier than those, with oversized wheels, a top-mounted E-Web-M heavy repeating blaster, a center-mounted engine, and enough room on each side for five stormtroopers to stand facing outward. With a pair of cramped seats in the center section for the driver and gunner, the carrier could transport a full stormtrooper squad quickly and efficiently across medium-rough terrain. The downside which Lagva always thought about when he rode one of the things, was that it also left the squad bunched close together, and thus vulnerable to ambush. But so far the enemy here hadn't made any such moves. The houses the three A racks rolled past were showing no signs of life, not even the occasional furtive peek by a curious face at any of the windows. The workers were apparently all out of the city as usual for this time of the morning, laboring in the fields forests and mines, stretching out beyond the urban area. As for the soldiers, most of those Logva could see from his angle, were gathered in clumps along the juggernauts' line of travel a few hundred meters to the north. Their backs were to the incoming A-Racks, with no indication that they were even aware that three squads of stormtroopers were coming toward them from the south. It was as if Thrawn had completely blindsided Nuso-Esva and the Queen of the Red. Logva didn't believe it for a minute. Tighten it up, troopers, Sanjan called from the A-Racks gunner's seat. Things are about to get hot. Logva shot a quick look upward. They'd reached the outer circle of Midley houses, and the sky above them had gone dark and shimmery, as they passed beneath the edge of the city's new patchwork of umbrella shields. From this point on, Commander Fell's ties would be unable to provide the stormtroopers with any cover fire. Readjusting his grip on his Blast Tech E-11 blaster rifle, Logva returned his attention to the houses and open areas on his side of the A-rack. Whatever Nuso Esva was planning, he knew, the battle was about to begin. Excellent, Nuso Esfa said, his lips curled back, his faceted yellow eyes intent on the line of eight large monitors the other storm hares had set up in the dwelling of guests' gathering area. Thrawn is nothing if not always precisely on schedule. He gestured to one of the monitors. Observe, O Queen. Here come his soldiers the queen leaned closer toward the image. Surreptitiously, Trevik did the same. The white-armored soldiers were heading northward through the southwestern part of the city, riding on three bouncy and fragile-looking metal frameworks. On one of the other monitors, larger, more substantial vehicles were rumbling into the city along setting Sun Avenue. And just like the soldiers, the large vehicles were moving in a straight line. Trevik didn't know much about tactics, but even to him that seemed foolish. It apparently seemed that way to the queen as well. I will order my soldiers to attack, she said, picking up the special speak that rested beside her armrest, its wires snaking across the room to the connector in the wall. They will make short work of them. Not yet, Nuso Esva said, holding out a hand. Not yet? Travik flinched. The outstretched hand was a signal of command, a gesture Trevik had used many times when overseeing workers and one that he'd received in turn from senior midless and occasional circlings. No one ever used such a gesture toward the Queen of the Red. Ever. The very thought of such a blatant insult was both fantastic and outrageous. Yet once again, the Queen gave no indication of such outrage. Then when? she simply asked. Be patient, O Queen! Nuso Esfa said. To Trevik's relief, he lowered the discourteous hand again to his side. The enemy fighter craft are about to make their first attempt to enter through my trap. When they do, my soldiers will open fire with the blaster cannons I set up in concealment, the guns my workers set up in concealment, the queen corrected him. Nuso Esfa's eyes might have glittered with new fire. Trevik wasn't certain. The cannons your workers set up, he amended coolly. Once they open fire, destroying or scattering the fighter craft, the cannons that I, he inclined his head, the cannons that your workers set up along setting Sun Avenue, will destroy the first and last juggernauts in line. Then you will order your soldiers to destroy the stormtroopers. All is as I predicted. Nuso Esfa turned his eyes on Trevik. Exactly as I predicted, he added. Yes, the queen said, and out of the corner of his eye Trevik saw her turn to him automatically he lifted the bowl as he likewise turned to face her. But to his surprise she didn't drink. To his even greater surprise, she continued to stare at him. Oh queen, he asked, not knowing what else to say. Nuso Esfa of the first of the storm hares did indeed predict all, she said. You, Trevik of the Midley of the Seventh of the Red, have betrayed me. Trevik froze, a horrible flood of fear and shame exploding inside him. She knew. She knew about his brother Jervin, and the others who'd been in the house that evening. She knew about the cam Trevik had brought into the dwelling of guests. She knew that Trevik had given that cam to his brother, who had then given it to the enemy Thrawn. And Trevik knew that he was dead. The queen would call in her soldiers from outside, and they would kill him. Calm yourself, O oh queen, Nuso Eswa said calmly. You're frightening him. At any rate, it's hardly betrayal when his actions are a deliberate and necessary part of a plan. His actions may have been a part of your plan, the queen said, still staring at Trevick. But in his hidden heart, the Midley committed treason against his queen. We thought he was controlling you, Trevick breathed, finally finding his voice. I was told he was controlling you. No one controls a queen of the Queseth, the queen said darkly. It is she who controls which you should have realized from the beginning, Nuso Esfa said. How else do you think that circling was actually willing to pretend to treason? He acted that way under his queen's orders, so that he could persuade you to take the pictures I wanted Thrawn to have. Trevik tore his gaze away from the queen's stare. To persuade, he began weakly. Pictures of these, Nuso Esfa said, waving a hand toward the walls of the gathering area. Even with his alien face and voice, it was impossible for Trevik to miss his deep and malicious satisfaction. Artwork carefully selected to lead our oh-so-clever Grand Admiral to exactly the wrong conclusions about my strategy. Trevik could feel his breath coming in short, painful gasps. Jervin had also said that about Thrawn, that in artwork he could read the hidden hearts of people. Trevik had accepted his brother's word, but he had never truly believed it. Now as he felt Nuso Esfa's triumph wash over him, he knew that it was indeed true. You don't believe it of course, Nuso Esfa continued. No one does. But rest assured, Thrawn is able to perform such magic. The Queen's own confidant and ally stayed aboard the Star Caravan long enough to confirm it. This time, his eyes definitely glittered. Before he pulled all of your Strama allies out of the battle. Which he would still have done without this Midley's betrayal the queen said. Calm yourself, O oh queen, Nuso Esfa said again. Let us watch and savor the defeat of our enemy without these petty distractions. There will be plenty of time later to execute this midli and his friends if you so choose. He turned back to the monitors. Besides, I dare say Thrawn will have another trick or two waiting behind his back. Watch, and see how I anticipate and destroy each of them. The sixth of the nine juggernauts had passed beneath the edge of the umbrella shields, and the stormtrooper force was nearly halfway to its target flank when the order finally came. Commander Fell, you may initiate your attack pattern, Thrawn said. Let us see what exactly we have facing us. Acknowledged Admiral, Fell said, turning his fighter into a smooth arc back toward the western part of the city. Thrawn's assumption had been that Nuso-Espa would close off the entire Umbrella Shield array, except in the western areas of the city. But even 90% sure assumptions needed to be checked out, and Fell's ties were the logical ones to do it. Especially when they had nothing better to do anyway. As usual Thrawn had been right. Grey Squadron's sweep had confirmed that the rest of the city was completely covered, with gaps not even big enough to drop an MSE droid through only in the western sector where nuso esfa had set his traps was there anything fell could use with the juggernauts and stormtroopers now in harm's way it was time for the ties to persuade nuso esfa to start springing those traps as it turned out the one-time warlord didn't need any persuading fell was passing over the lead juggernaut and starting to make his turn when the city below him erupted with laser cannon fire evasive fell snapped twisting his fighter around as a bolt came through one of the shield gaps and burned past his portside wing. Not that his pilots really needed the warning. Target those lasers and destroy. He was cutting dangerously low across the forest of umbrella shields when he spotted the swarm of Queseth soldiers appearing from concealment in the ring of workers' houses directly behind Lieutenant Sanjan's stormtroopers. The first warning was a burst of soldier-speak from a concealed loudspeaker a few blocks away. Soldiers in concealment, Logva called out in translation. Rise and attack the white-armored invaders. Vex-6. One of the other stormtroopers snapped, pointing his E-11 back toward the edge of the umbrella shield zone. Looks like, must be a hundred soldiers, coming out of the workers' houses. Logva felt his mouth go dry. A hundred soldiers, against thirty-six stormtroopers. Not good. Got another hundred fifty at VEC 3, someone else put in tautly. I guess they don't want us heading toward the palace. Lucky we didn't want to go in that direction anyway, Sanjin said with his usual calm. Here comes the VEC null contingent. The words were barely out of his mouth, when the western half of the city suddenly exploded with laser fire as a dozen concealed laser cannons opened up against the ties flying overhead. About time, Sanjan shouted over the noise. Iraqs, stop, gunners, grab the e-webs. Kicker, find me some useful real estate. Logva turned from the large insectoid beings closing on their rear, their short swords and heavy maces glinting in the shield-muted sunlight, and peered across the landscape in front of them. There was the Veknal contingent, just as Sanjan had said, another hundred or more soldiers who had left their places along the juggernauts' insertion route, and were heading toward the stormtroopers and that was a direction Sanjan's assault force had been hoping to go in. Logva looked to the west. So far, that area was still clear of Queseth. If Sanjin gave the order, and if they turned the A-racks and pushed them to the limit, they could probably get back out from under the umbrella shields, and into Thai cover ahead of all three groups of soldiers. But that would mean running. And imperial stormtroopers never ran. Not when they had a job to do not even when they were outnumbered ten to one. Kicker? Sanjin prompted. Yes, sir, a stormtrooper from one of the other squads called back, his eyes on the portable sensor looped over his shoulder. One of the shield generators is in there. He pointed at a modest house just ahead and to the east. Next nearest is over there, he added, pointing to another house to the northwest. That enough, or do you want one more? Two should do us. Sanjin said, looking back and forth among the incoming groups of soldiers. If we can wreck both generators, it should open the sky enough for the ties to get under the rest and access the whole city. Squad three, take the eastern house. Squads one and two, you're with me in the other one. There was another burst of soldier speak from the nearby loudspeaker. North and east soldiers, converge northeast at weapons site, defend and attack from there, Lagva translated. South soldiers, follow your current track. What does she mean weapons site? Sanjan asked. A weapons cache, or one of those laser batteries? I don't know, Lagva said. The term could apply to either. A laser battery would make more sense, Sanjan decided. New plan, squad three to eastern house, squad two to northwest, squad one with me. We'll go to ground somewhere, wait for them to tag the weapons site for us, and try to get in. Smoke grenades, two per enemy force. Everyone ready? Grenades, go. The grenades had just hit the ground when, in the distance, the rearmost juggernaut lumbering along through the city exploded. In the dim light filling the admonitor's ground tax center, a second display flared unnaturally bright, and then went dark. Juggernaut 1 has been hit, General Toss reported. Cam out, telemetry data still moving but just barely. Another hit like that, and it'll be as dead in the mud as Juggernaut 9. Acknowledged, Thrawn said. Park stole a sideways look at the Admiral. Thrawn was standing in front of the tack board, his eyes sweeping methodically across the myriad displays and status readouts. To all outward appearances he seemed as calm as always. But Park knew better. The Grand Admiral's campaign against warlord Nuso-Esfa had been a long and bloody one, a road littered with betrayal and destruction, new allies and barely thwarted genocide. Now at long last, Nuso-Esfa's end was finally in sight. At least, all indicators pointed in that direction. The once-proud conqueror was trapped on Kethold with limited resources, no more than 30 of his most loyal followers, and only a single medium-sized ship, buried away out of easy reach in one of the mines north of the Red City. The remnants of his once-powerful battle fleet were scattered across probably a million cubic light-years of space, where they would presumably wither and die once Nuso Esva was no longer there to command. And yet, Park ran his eyes over the tack board again. Preoccupied with the stream of reports from the scouts searching for nuso Esva's remaining ships, he'd been somewhat out of the data loop for the planning of the Red City attack. There were undoubtedly a few pieces of Thrawn's plan that he didn't know. But as he gazed at the turmoil being presented on the boards, he could feel an unpleasant sensation starting to tingle between his shoulder blades. The Admonitor had six squadrons of ties aboard, yet Thrawn had chosen to deploy only three of them. He had over 3,000 troopers available, not even counting Allied forces, yet had sent only three squads of stormtroopers against the Red City's soldiers. The line of juggernauts now under heavy attack was even more of a gamble. And Liaison Nyama had been right about the number of soldiers that nuso Esfa had available. The observers and censors were registering at least 4,000 of them, 2,000 along the juggernauts' route, a few hundred attacking the stormtrooper squads, the rest arrayed in a defensive line between the palace and the transports. How could Thrawn have so badly underestimated his opponent's strength? Or had he? Could it instead be that this long-wearying war against nuso Esva had so blunted the Grand Admiral's tactical prudence that he was determined to defeat his enemy with the absolute minimum force possible? had this become personal? The thought sent a fresh shiver up Park's back. Four years earlier, Emperor Palpatine had traveled to Endor burning with hatred for the Rebel Alliance. Four years before that, Grand Moff Tarkin had similarly made the attack on Yavin a matter of personal vengeance. Both men had died at the scenes of their hoped-for triumphs, their certain victories snatched from their fingers. The Rebel Alliance had survived, and had gone on to turn much of their empire into the so-called New Republic. Park had always assumed Thrawn knew better than to let emotion cloud his military judgment. Could he have been wrong? Patience, Captain, Park jerked out of his thoughts. I'm sorry, Admiral, he asked carefully. You're worried, Thrawn said, his voice low enough to assure that his words would be for the senior captain's ears only. Worried about the operation, he looked sideways at Park and by extension, worried about me. But observe. He pointed to one of the TAC display's city overlays. Scattered amid the bright red spots marking Nuso Eswa's laser cannon positions, and the muted yellow dots of the umbrella shield generators were a dozen glowing blue lights. The Queen's loudspeakers, he said identifying them. The sensors in the ties, the juggernauts, and the stormtrooper a Rax are all listening for the distinctive sound of soldier speak. Every order she gives her troops brings us that much closer to our final thrust. Yes, sir, Park said, trying to filter the doubt out of his voice. Apparently he hadn't filtered out all the doubt. Patience, Captain, Thrawn said with a faint smile. Patience. As I anticipated, Nuso Esva said, his voice brimming again with satisfaction. You note, O Queen, that as the smoke clears the white armored invaders are no longer anywhere to be seen? The Queen made a grotesque sound Trevik had never heard from her before. "'True soldiers would not flee a battle,' she said. "'Nor have these,' Nuso Esva said. "'They've merely taken refuge in some of the homes, "'most likely the two or three nearest that contain shield generators. "'They no doubt hope to destroy or disable the generators "'before they're overwhelmed by the approaching soldiers, "'thereby allowing the fighters overhead to enter your city. "'Hoping their deaths will not be useless,' his eyes glittered. "'But of course they will.' Trevik gazed at the monitor, Feeling an unexpected and discomfiting surge of sadness for the invading soldiers, from the earlier speech between the queen and Nuso Esva, he gathered that humans were like the Strama, where each member had the same free choices that Quesseth Midlas and Circling's possessed. Unlike Quesseth's soldiers, the white-armored attackers were not bound irrevocably by their orders, and therefore could have retreated to safety when they saw the numbers arrayed against them. Yet they had not. What kind of leader was this thrawn, that his people willingly gave up their lives at his command? The shield generators must not be damaged, the queen said, lifting her mic. I will send more soldiers. No need, O Queen, Nuso Esfa said. I have anticipated this move, and have prepared for it. No, keep your soldiers where they are. The real battle will take place at the line of juggernaut vehicles. You see how the rearmost has already been disabled, blocking the rest from retreat? As soon as the one in the forefront has likewise been stopped, your soldiers can move against the true prize. Yes I see, the queen said again. You didn't say that two of the nine would be destroyed. I told you sacrifices would be necessary, Nuso Esva said. In this case, the loss of two assures that we can capture the other seven intact. And seven will be enough? More than enough, Nuso Esva said. I've seen the strength of the Red City's lower citadel. I doubt that the White City's defenses will be any greater. Seven juggernauts will be more than sufficient to break through the barriers. The White City? Trevik asked, the words coming out before he could stop them. What? Break the barriers? What is this madness you speak of? The old ways are at an end, Trevik of the Midley of the Seventh of the Red, the Queen said, her voice as calm as if she were asking for a drink of nectar. Why should I accept death for myself and my city, merely because the queen of the white has arisen? But, Trevik stared at her. But the old queen always dies when the new queen arises and the air changes. It's the way of the world. You're a naive fool, Nuso Esfa said scornfully. A queen, a true queen, doesn't simply sit back and accept the way of the world. He held out his hand toward Trevik, his fingers closing into a fist. A true queen grasps the world by the throat, and squeezes her own destiny from it, understand no Trevik said the sheer shock of it draining all emotion from him as if a vein had been cut, but I do understand one thing: the queen of the white cannot arise if the circlings of the white are dead. He looked at the queen, if they are murdered, it's a matter of survival. Nuso Esva said, survival of the strongest, that's how the universe operates, Midley. I have no doubt that the Queen of the White, if given this same choice, would take the same action. It will serve all of us, the Queen said. Including you yourself, Trevik of the Midley of the Seventh of the Red. No more will you and the other Midless and Circlings need to travel long distances to a new city, many of you dying along the way. You will remain here in familiar surroundings, living out your lives in your own homes. And when you die, Trevik asked. The Queen smiled. I will not die, she said, an unpleasant edge to her voice. Without the changing of the air, I will live forever. All living things die. Trevik wanted to say that. But he couldn't. Not directly to her face. Not to the Queen of the Red, who was supposed to be the leader of her city, and the steward of all the Queseth. She had betrayed them. She had betrayed them all. But he couldn't say that either. When will this happen? He asked instead. When the battle is over and Thrawn has lost, he will leave, Nuso Estha said. He'll have no choice. His defeat here by primitives will severely damage the reputation that holds his fragile coalition together, and he and his star caravan will need to travel to other conflicts to take personal charge of those battles. Once he's gone, we'll take our newly captured vehicles to the White City." The Queen of the Red will become the Queen of Kethold, his eyes glittered, and I will have free access to the industrial facilities beneath the White City. There I will construct vehicles in which I and my chosen may leave this world, and once again carry the war to my enemies. Trevik nodded, his heart sickening within him. So that was what it came down to. Kethold was to be sacrificed, its stability and the lives of its people lost. So that the Storm Hares could continue their thirst for conquest among the stars. And there was nothing he could do to stop it. The Queen had revealed her own thirsts, and there was nothing a mere Midley could say that would change her mind. Nor was he a soldier, who might fight the Storm Hares on her behalf. No, all Trevik could do was stand with his nectar bowl, and watch and listen. And hope that somehow, Grand Admiral Thrawn would be able to win. Kweseth soldiers were about as primitive a group of combatants as Logva had ever come across. They didn't wear armor, they didn't use blasters or even projectile weapons, and their tactics seemed limited to swarming their enemies, in an attempt to overwhelm them with sheer numbers. But their natural chitinous hides were tough enough to shrug off even a blaster bolt or two, unless they were hit squarely in a vital organ, and they wielded their short swords and maces with incredible strength. And they definitely had the numbers for their chosen strategy. It was also quickly clear that they weren't going to give up the laser cannon emplacement they'd been ordered to defend. Not while any of them was still able to fight. Flanking left, Sanjin called over the scream of the stormtroopers' blaster fire. Logva shrinks go. Right, Logva squeezed off one final shot through the sleeping room window of the house in which they'd taken refuge, then turned and sprinted out the door, down the hall, and into the gathering room, one of the other stormtroopers right behind him they were just in time. The Quesseth surge had overwhelmed the three stormtroopers guarding that approach, and a small knot of soldiers had made it all the way up to the window. Even as Logva skidded to a halt and opened careful fire over his comrade's shoulders, one of the soldiers leaned in and slammed his mace hard across Bragger's arm. The stormtrooper fell with a muffled curse, and the soldier started to climb in through the gap and fell backward out of sight as shrinks opened fire from Logva's side with the e web m from their A-rack. Between the two of them, they drove back the attackers. Bragger was back on his feet by the time the two newcomers reached him. You all right? Logva asked. Arms probably broken, Bragger said calmly, as he shifted his E-11 to his left hand, and rested the muzzle on the windowsill. I'll be fine. Outside, the loudspeaker was blaring soldier-speak again. Logva? Sanjan called. Soldiers of the setting sun and soldiers of the defense, attack and capture the armored vehicles, Lagva translated. They must have gotten the lead juggernaut stopped. Sounds like it, Sanjan said. I hope they like what they. Hold on! Lagva interrupted him as the soldier speak continued. Kill the crews and all the white armored invaders inside. Yeah, good luck with that, Sanjan said with a grunt. Break time over, troopers. Get back to work. Flanking right, someone warned. Logva fired one last shot through the window at the swarm of soldiers, and then turned back toward the doorway. I'm on it, he called. There they go, General Toss reported tightly, pointing at one of the displays. Coming out of concealment, must be 2,000 of them. The defensive line's on the move, too, one of the others said. Another 1,500 at least. Looks like a few of Nuso Esfa's personal troops are in there with them. Toss grunted. Looks like Nuso Esva's decided we don't have anything left in the transports we can throw at him, so he's retasked his defense line, he said. Figures the more bodies he throws against the juggernauts, the faster he can batter his way in. Park winced. Nuso Esfa was certainly right on that count. Thirty-five hundred soldiers with maces would make quick work of even a juggernaut's hatch admiral two of the umbrella shields are down a lieutenant called from the tech board southwest sector so lieutenant Sanjin's stormtrooper contingent had come through can the ties get in through the breach park asked no sir the lieutenant said the adjoining shields are angled downward like the ones at the city's outer edge they're too low to permit any vehicle entry as expected Thrawn said calmly Nuso Esva is nothing if not thorough. What's Lieutenant Sanjin's status? He reports two down, Commander Balkin reported. The rest are holding for now. Order them to continue pressing on the laser cannon emplacement, Thrawn said. The longer Nuso Esva thinks we're following his script, the longer it will take him to react to the genuine breach, Park frowned. Following his script? Of course, Thrawn said, frowning as if it was obvious. Why else did you think I let him arrange the art in the dwelling of guests and then make it sound like I needed to see it? I wanted him to think that he'd manipulated our operation and had it under his control. Park felt a smile twitch at his lips. He should have known it was something like that. As Thrawn had said, Nuso Esfa understood him. Or thought he did. When do you plan to leave his script? Right now, Thrawn pointed at the tack board. The 14th loudspeaker has just been located. He keyed his calm. Comm. Commander Fell, you may begin your run. Good luck. Acknowledged, Fell said, baring his teeth in a tight smile. Finally. Gray Squadron, into your positions. Stand on me. He swung his tie around, listening with half an ear to the chorus of acknowledgements from his pilots as he eyed the cityscape below. Considering some of the traps NUSO-ESVA had set in the past he reflected, this one was almost simple. A single opening in the umbrella shield coverage, apparently there by accident, big enough for a TIE fighter to slip through if it came in at just the right vector. And on the same vector, a heavy twin-barreled laser cannon lurking in concealment, ready to blow apart an unwary pilot. But as was also typical of NUSO-ESVA, the laser cannon wasn't there solely to seal the flytrap. The Thai pilots had had plenty of time to map the shields and weapons and placements in that zone, and Fell had spotted at least eight other, smaller openings in the barrier nearby, that the lasers could fire through. Even if an approaching pilot veered off the flight trap vector in time to survive the gunner's first shot, they would have several other chances to finish the job as he flew away. Assuming that is, the gunners were fast enough and good enough. Time to find out just how fast and good they were. By the time Fell had brought his tie onto the flight trap vector stent was in position forming up 50 meters behind fell off his starboard wing stent was a chiss one of Thrawn's people who had severed ties with his homeworld in order to come out here and serve the grand admiral he was also one of fell's best pilots which was why fell had chosen him for this job and the two of them were going to get only one shot at this kicking his tie to full power jinking back and forth as much as he could while still maintaining his insertion vector, fell headed in. He closed to within a hundred meters of the flytrap opening when he spotted the telltale twitch of the laser barrels as they made their final targeting lock. Instantly he did a final twitch of his own, jinking his fighter hard to starboard. The lasers flashed, the dual bolt sizzling past his canopy. With a burst of fire and shattered metal, his portside wing burst into flame. Twisting the yoke hard over, Fell spun away to starboard. His momentum was carrying him straight toward the unyielding patchwork of umbrella shields below. Twisting around again, he pulled up sluggishly out of his dive. And as he did so, he flew directly across one of the laser cannon's other firing gaps. He tensed with anticipation. But Thrawn had been right. The gimmicked wing and its fake fire damage made Fell look fatally wounded, and knew so Espa's gunners weren't going to bother with a fighter that would likely crash within seconds anyway. Certainly not when they had a much more interesting target coming their way. Because while Fell had been fighting his burning craft, Stent had lined up onto the flytrap vector and was heading in. Fell continued his turn, losing altitude and fighting to keep his wobble from getting out of control, all the while wending a twisting path toward the flytrap opening he finally straightened out into a course more or less level over the city, and perpendicular to Stent's own current vector. From Fell's new angle, he could see that Stent was coming in at full power, with the same evasive maneuvering that Fell had been trying, when the laser cannon opened up on him. Alternating his attention among Stent, the flytrap opening and the ground, Fell flipped up the protective cover on the add-on section of his control board and braced himself. For an instant he thought Stent had left it too late, and that knew so Esfa's gunners would nail him for sure. But at the very last second the Chiss pulled up, arcing off his approach vector just as the laser cannon fired. The bolts burned across his tie's belly as he twisted up and away, clawing for altitude as he passed across one of the cannon's other firing gaps. The cannon spun around, firing through the gap, again just a shade too late, then swiveled to another angle as Stent continued past the emplacement, and across another of its firing gaps. And for the next three or four seconds, as the gunners furiously tracked Stent's apparently random motion retreat, taking shot after shot through firing gap after firing gap, the flytrap opening was completely unprotected. As usual, NUSO-ESFA had been clever. The size of the flytrap had been carefully tailored to allow insertion from but one direction, Yet also as usual, he hadn't been clever enough, because he'd assumed that the intruder would be a whole-tie fighter, a cockpit-slash-body equipped with the standard pair of large hexagonal solar wings jutting out on both sides. Smiling grimly, Fell pressed the button beneath the open safety cover. And as the explosive bolts blew across the wing connectors, ejecting both wings to tumble to their destruction against the umbrella shields below, he deftly slid the cockpit section of his tie sideways through the flytrap opening. NUSO-ESFA's gunners must have instantly spotted their fatal error. But it was already too late. Even as they tried to bring the cannon around again, Fell rotated on his repulsor lifts, and fired a close and double burst from his own laser cannons. The bolts shattered the emplacement's rotational platform, leaving the weapons frozen in place, pointed uselessly at the sky. Then, flying low over the houses, dipping and dodging where necessary to avoid the umbrella shield's edges, Fell began blasting the houses where those shield generators were located. The rest of Grey's squadron was right behind him, dropping through the ever-widening hole, and joining in the task of systematically peeling open the nice secure lair that Nuso Esva had built for himself. And as the rest of his squadron continued their destruction of the shield generators, Fell shifted to his own special assigned task. Flying widely across the edge of the city, he began eliminating the queen's communication loudspeakers. All of them that is, except one. For that one, Grand Admiral Thrawn had something special planned. There is trouble, the queen said. For a few seconds Nuso Esfa ignored her, as he continued to jabber on his private far-speak in his incomprehensible alien language. Trevik braced himself, wondering what the queen would say or do at this latest insult to her. But she sat quietly on her litter, waiting with eerie patience for Nuso Esfa to finish his other conversation. The alien talk ended, and Nuso Esva jammed the far speak back into his belt. There is trouble, the queen repeated. Nothing that can't be handled, Nuso Esva growled, his voice barely within the limits of civility. As soon as your soldiers breach the juggernauts, there is trouble, the queen said again, much more emphatically. Enemy aircraft fly free over my city, destroying the homes of circlings and Midless. You said that would not happen. You said that could not happen. Nuso Esfa seemed to gather himself together. Calm yourself, O oh queen, he said, more politely this time. The fighters may have breached the outer parts of the city, but there's another angled rim to the shield array farther in. That edge will keep them out of the palace grounds and away from us. Yet they have entered my city, the queen persisted. You said they would not. You lied. They won't be there for long, Nuso Esva said. Unlike the primitive cannons my chosen have been forced to work with, the juggernaut's weaponry is equipped with computerized sensor targeting capabilities. Once we've gained control of them, one of the storm hares by the monitors called something in the alien language. The hatches are breached, Nuso Esfa announced. Now watch as I destroy the enemy fighters. Trevik looked at the monitors. One of them showed an image that bounced dizzyingly, while the storm hare carrying the holocom, ran behind a group of soldiers through the jagged metal edge, where a hatch had once been. The soldiers rushed inside, spreading aside out of the view of the cam. Suddenly the image went still. Very still. For a pair of seconds it showed a view of a compact metal chamber, empty except for blinking lights, softly glowing displays, and some sort of small round-top metal object at the far end. Abruptly, the image spun around, paused, spun around again, paused again. Nuso Esfa spat something vile-sounding. No, he bit out as he snatched up his far-speak. No? What is it? The queen demanded. What's happened? Nuso Esfa ignored her, snarling more of his alien speech into his far-speak. The image on the monitor began bouncing again, as the storm hair with the cam raced to the end of the metal chamber, and stopped beside the round-topped metal object. There was a close-up view of the lights and monitors. What has happened? The queen bellowed. Trevik shrank back in terror. Never in his life had he heard the queen shout that way. Never had he realized she could shout that way. Nuso Esfa barely even took notice. He continued snarling into his far speak. His free hand gripping the weapon belted at his side. Around the room, the other storm hares also had their hands on their weapons. Trevik tensed, waiting for the queen to shout again. But she remained silent. A moment later, Nuso Esfa lowered his far speak, his yellow eyes glittering with fury. The juggernauts have no crews, he bit out. No crews, and no soldiers. Their drivers are nothing but droids. Mechanical workers, he hissed something vicious sounding. And there are no weapons. All have been removed. For a long moment the gathering room was silent. Trevik kept his eyes on Nuso Esva, afraid to look at the queen. Then you have failed, she said at last. I haven't failed, Nuso Esva, turning his head back to the monitors. The juggernauts are useless to us? Fine. There are other targets that will serve. He looked back at the queen and gave the gesture of command. Order your soldiers to the transports waiting on the ground outside the city. They are to capture the vehicles and kill everyone aboard. Do the transports hold the weapons you claim will bring you victory? The queen countered. Or do you simply seek a means of deserting Kethold and escaping back to the stars? Don't waste precious time with foolish prattle, Nuso S. -S 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 Vaspat. Give the order. I cannot. The queen pointed toward the monitors. The loudspeakers have been silenced there is no way for my voice to reach my soldiers. What? Once again, Nuso Esfa twisted his head around toward the monitors. So, he murmured bitterly. We see now Thrawn's true strategy. He draws the majority of the soldiers to the juggernauts, where they will be useless to me, then destroys the means by which they could be ordered elsewhere. He turned back to the queen. But as always, his strategy is flawed. If your voice cannot travel to the soldiers, then you, O oh queen, must do the travelling. He gestured toward the workers crouched beside the litter. Order your workers to their places. We travel at once to the juggernauts. Trevik felt his eyes go wide. You cannot order the queen into battle, he objected. Silence traitor, Nuso Esfa said, not even bothering to look at him. Perhaps Trevik of the Midley of the Seventh of the Red, is not the true traitor here. The Queen said darkly. Perhaps it is you who are the traitor, Nuso Esfa of the first of the storm hares. You promised us victory. You promised me eternal life. You have broken faith on both. You wish eternal life? Nuso Esfa countered. Then go to the juggernauts, and order your soldiers to attack the transports. The queen gestured in refusal. No, and then suddenly, Nuso Esfa's weapon was out of its sheath, and pointed directly at the queen. Give your workers the order, he said, his voice deathly quiet. Or die. The sole remaining loudspeaker was less than 200 meters from the stalled juggernauts, and the 3,500 soldiers standing stiffly alongside them. Fell-eyed them warily as he settled his tie into a defensive hover above the support platform, wondering if they would decide they should take some action against the shuttle that was even now lowering a pair of techs onto the platform beside the loudspeaker array but they didn't. They'd been ordered to attack the juggernauts, they'd done that, and they were now waiting for further instructions. Patience, Fell murmured toward them. There was movement by the crushed hatch of one of the juggernauts, and two of Nuso-Espas' chosen stepped outside, their yellow eyes glinting in the sunlight. One of them pointed at Fell, and they raised their blasters. Fell nailed them both with a single shot. Again, the Quesseth soldiers did nothing. Fell gave the rest of the juggernaut hatches a quick check, then did another scan of the area, to make sure more of the surviving chosen weren't rushing to the attack. As Thrawn had ordered, he'd left this particular loudspeaker intact, merely severing the control power and communications cables that led to it. That meant the techs not only would have to set up the special soldier-speak message Thrawn had prepared, but would also have to splice in power from the shuttle's generators. With Sanjin's stormtroopers still battling for their lives against their own clump of soldiers, Fel hoped the techs would hurry. Two streets away, another pair of the Chosen were warily approaching. Fel rotated his tie a few degrees in that direction, and waited for them to come out of cover. And then, abruptly, the loudspeakers came to life below him, filling the air with a volume and intensity that he could feel right through the lower hull of his tie, as Thrawn's message blared across this part of the city. The message ended and began to repeat. For a moment nothing happened. Fell held his breath. And then, all at once, the soldiers by the juggernauts began to move. Flowing along the ground, more like a dark fluid than a collection of individual beings, they headed up the hill toward the palace. The soldiers had once again pressed their way to the house's windows, and Sanjan and the remaining stormtroopers had pulled back to one of the inner rooms to make their final stand, when Logva heard the faint sound of the loudspeakers over the noise of blaster bolts and the thud of maces and swords. He frowned, wondering at the bizarre message. And then, without a word, the soldiers lowered their weapons. Turning, they filed quickly back through the doors and the holes they'd battered in the walls, heading out into the city leaving the stormtroopers panting in the middle of an empty room. Sanjan found his voice first. What in the void was that? he demanded. With an effort, Lagva worked some moisture into his battle-dried mouth. You didn't hear the loudspeaker, did you? No, I think I was getting clubbed with a mace at the time, Sanjan said, rubbing gingerly and ineffectually at the side of his helmet. These things don't block that kind of blow nearly as well as I'd hoped. What happened? Did the queen surrender? I don't think so, Lagva said. It sounded like something Thrawn set up. I thought you couldn't fake soldier speak, one of the others said, as he dropped to his knees beside a fallen stormtrooper, his field med pack in hand. He didn't, Lagva said. It seemed to be just a straight recording, taken right from the queen's mouth. Which said, Sanjan prompted. Go through the dwelling doors, Lagva translated. Surround and protect the guests. But isn't that an order for the soldiers to protect Nuso Esfa? One of the storm troopers objected. How's that going to help us? Because, Sanjan said, and Logva could envision the other's grim smile behind his helmet, Nuso Esfa doesn't know that. Nuso Esfa was still pointing his weapon at the queen when one of the other storm hares suddenly chattered in their alien language. Nuso Esfa barked something in return and took a step forward. What did you tell them? He demanded. What orders did you give your soldiers? I gave no orders, the queen said. I cannot give any, don't lie to me. Nuso Esfa thundered, taking another step forward. An order was given. You're the only one who can give such orders. He took another step toward her. And now they're all coming here, he continued, his voice suddenly quiet. Why are they coming here? Queen of the Red. I don't know, the Queen said. When they arrive, I will ask them, Nuso Esva snorted. No. You won't. Abruptly, his weapon spat a blaze of fire, and without a sound the Queen slumped over. Dead. Trevik gasped, his body stiffening as he stared in disbelief and horror at the Queen's lifeless form. This wasn't the way Queens of Kethole died. It was never the way Queens died. Dimly through the hiss of blood roaring through his ears and brain he heard the sound of more blaster fire. You! Traitor! Trevik jerked his head around. Nuso Esfa was staring at him, his weapon pointed directly at Trevik's face. And only then did he realize that there were bodies of dead Quesseth all around him. The workers, Borisiv of the circling of the first of the red, all of them were dead. All of them had been murdered. You're going to take a message to Thrawn Nuso Esfa said, his voice grim and defiant. And yet, beneath the alien warlord's determination, Trevik could somehow sense a bitter-edged melancholy. There were four thousand soldiers marching on the palace, and he knew that his own death marched alongside them. Tell Thrawn that he may think he's won, Nuso Esfa continued. But with my death, his own will not be far off. My followers are still out there, and they're more numerous than he can possibly imagine." No matter where he goes, no matter where he tries to hide, they will find him. You'll tell him that. With a supreme effort, Trevik forced words into his mouth. I will tell him, he promised. For a moment Nuso Esfa held his position. Then at last, he lowered his weapon. Go, he ordered. Trevik was at the edge of the palace grounds, weaving his way through the lines of incoming soldiers, when the storm hares opened fire behind him. He had reached the waiting group of white-armored humans when the storm-hairs firing came to an abrupt end. Park looked up from the report. So that's it, he said. That's it, Thrawn confirmed. One of the bodies in the dwelling of guests was positively identified as his. Park nodded, feeling a strange weariness stealing over him. After ten years of sporadic combat, slippery escapes and unlikely victories across the unknown regions, warlord Nuso Esva was finally, finally dead. What now? he asked, setting the datapad aside. Thrawn shrugged slightly. There's little we can do for the Quesseth except aid in rebuilding the damage to the Red City, he said. But they should be all right. Historically, there have been several instances when queens have died prematurely sometimes that induces the next queen to arise ahead of schedule, sometimes the affected city has to limp on alone, until the regular time of arising. But whatever struggles the red city ends up going through, the people of Kethold will survive. That's what's important. Yes, Park agreed with a shiver. Especially considering what that middly Trevik had told them about Nuso Espa's plans for the planet. He could have destroyed everything, and might even have gotten loose to spread more of his poison across the unknown regions. But he hadn't. He was dead, and it really was over. Actually Admiral, I meant what were we going to do now, he said. You and the Admonitor will be heading back to the Chaos Triangle, to begin cleaning up the legacy that Nuso-Esfa left behind, Thrawn said. As for me, I can now finally turn my attention to an even more pressing problem than Nuso-Esfa. Namely, the restoration of the Empire, Park winced. Thrawn had returned only occasionally to imperial space since Palpatine's death. Those trips had usually been short, had always been shrouded in secrecy, and had invariably left the Grand Admiral frustrated by the growing disorder there. Between the incompetence of its own leadership and the steady military pressure from the New Republic, the Empire had shrunk to barely a quarter of the size it had attained under Palpatine's rule. You may have trouble persuading them to accept your help, he warned. Some of their recent experience with Grand Admirals hasn't been all that positive. There's someone there I can contact, Thrawn assured him. Captain Gilad Pallian, currently in command of the ISD Chimera. I worked with him before, back when Nuso-Esva made his one incursion into Imperial space. Yes, I remember, Park said grimly. Candora's Sector. I also remember that it was shortly afterward that Nuso-Esfa launched the Bracho campaign and ended up nearly destroying half a dozen species. Your recollection is correct, Thrawn said, frowning slightly. Your point? That Nuso-Esfa was a vengeful son of a space slug, Park said. I don't expect his followers to be any less so. It may not be a good time for you to reintroduce yourself to imperial politics. Thrawn shook his head. Don't worry, Captain. Whatever followers Nuso Esfa has left are few and scattered. Without his leadership, they'll slink back into the shadows where they belong. Perhaps, Park said. It still might not be a bad idea for you to take a few additional precautions out there. Your concern is touching, Thrawn said. Again, you have no need to worry. Captain Pallian is a competent commander, and he's made the Chimera into one of the finest warships in the fleet. What I meant and I've also made arrangements to have a bodyguard accompany me when I return to the Empire, Thrawn continued. Whatever vengeance Nuso Esva had planned, or thought he had planned, it will never reach me. I hope not. Park took a deep breath. He still didn't like this, but he knew better than to argue when Thrawn's mind was made up. With your permission, Admiral, I'll go begin preparations to contact Captain Pallian, and return you to the Empire. He smiled slightly. To your Empire. Thank you, Captain. Thrawn said quietly. And don't look so glum. This isn't just the end of Nuso Esfa, he smiled tightly. It's also the beginning. The beginning of victory.